Today's lesson comes from a sermon program by George Bailey on seeing. How you see God, see the Bible, see Jesus, and see yourself. Join George Bailey in the following lesson as he takes an in-depth look at self-introspection according to God's Word. How much time do you spend thinking on your own ways? It might be that we've been examining others rather than examining self. Let me ask you, what do you see in life? A person sees only what he's prepared to see and no more. And that being the case, we often miss so much. When the early settlers came to our country, America, they thought that the Indians possessed unusually keen eyesight. The Indian could see a deer antler or squirrel's eye while the white man saw nothing but a leaf or a twig. But then the white man took to the woods and hunted as the Indian hunted. He discovered it wasn't keen eyesight, it was keen interest that made the difference. You see, the Indian knew what he was looking for. His livelihood depended upon it. He wouldn't let leaves, twigs, branches, or anything distract him. We see only what we are prepared to see and no more. In Matthew 13 and 13, Jesus said something that sounds very paradoxical. He said, they see and don't see. Now, how can you see and not see? It looks as though you would either see or not see, but Jesus said it's possible to see and not see. Well, in 2 Corinthians 4.18, the opposite is also true. He speaks of seeing the unseen. How can you see what's not seen? How can you see and not see? Well, many people are looking and looking, but they don't see anything. Now, we can see with the eyes of our head, as mentioned in Matthew 13 and 15, but also 2 Corinthians 3.14 lets us know that the mind can see. The Bible speaks of the minds being blinded, which apparently means the mind can see. Have you ever heard a blind person say, I'm glad to see you? And he does. It's not just talk. There was a blind person we knew, and this person, when someone would move into a new home or something, would say, I want to go see it. And I thought that was rather strange. A blind person wanting to go see, but he would feel of this and feel of that. He could see, but it wasn't through the physical organ of sight. In 2 Corinthians 3.14, we can see with a mind. In Ephesians 4.18, we can see with a heart. In Ephesians 1.18, we can see with the understanding. The eyes of the understanding is mentioned. So many people look and look, but they're depending upon physical vision. They don't really see with a mind. They don't see with a heart. They don't see with the understanding, you see. In Proverbs 29, 18, where no vision is, the people perish. In Isaiah 28 and 7, you err in vision, you stumble in judgment. Why does a drunk man run into everything? Why didn't he look where he's going? Well, he can't see straight, and that's why he can't go straight. A man's vision will always affect his decision and his decision will be based upon his vision. I heard of a little snail who started to climb a cherry tree on a cold, wintry day. Snow and ice were everywhere. Two sparrows in a tree nearby began to poke fun at the little snail. Now, sparrows don't normally talk, but these did. One said, look how idiotic and dumb some animals are. So look at that silly snail climbing a cherry tree on a cold, wintry day. Doesn't he have sense enough to know there are no cherries on that tree this time of the year? The little snail overheard and said, yep, but there will be when I get there. Now, that's vision. 
That's seeing what is not seen. That's seeing beyond the surface. That's looking beyond the horizon. We see only what we are prepared to see. In John 20, in John's account of the resurrection, three people saw something. And a different Greek word was used in each case. In verse 1 of John 20, Mary Magdalene saw that the stone had been rolled away from the sepulcher. Now that word means a casual glance, and that's about all. In verse 6, Peter saw, and that's another word, he saw the linen clothes lying there. Now that means uh, a mere notice, a little more than a casual glance, not much more. Then in verse 8, the Bible said John saw and believed. Unlike Mary Magdalene in verse 1, a casual glance, unlike Peter in verse 6, a mere notice, this word means a thorough, deliberate look. Now John saw and believed because he didn't just glance or merely notice, but his look was more thorough. And many people look and look and don't see anything. They see and don't see because they don't have that thorough, deliberate look. It's interesting when the spies were sent to view the land of Canaan, as the story is told in Numbers 13. In verse 28, 10 of the 12, is that about the proportion? 10 of 12 say it can't be done. Only two of the 12 said it could. And those who said it could be done did it. Those who said it couldn't be done didn't do it. I believe it was Henry Ford one time who said, if you think you can or if you think you can't, you're right. Well, in verse 28 of Numbers 13, these men said, we saw giants there. And that's true. There were some giants and probably they looked even more like giants in their sight. But then in verse 32, they said, all the people we saw there were giants. Now, what they said in verse 28 was true, but what they said in verse 32 was not true. It's true there were giants, but not all of them were giants, you see. It's like the little boy who ran in and said, Mama, there are a thousand snakes out there. And she said, Now, honey, are you sure there are a thousand? She said, I know there are a hundred. She said, Are you sure there are a hundred? He said, Well, I saw the grass move. And that's the way we oftentimes see things because the negative just seems so much bigger than the positive. And so these men saw giants, but not all the people they saw there were giants. In Matthew 5 and 8, Jesus said, The pure in heart shall see God. But aren't we told in Revelation 1 and 7, Every eye will see him. Hebrews 11, 27 said, They saw him who was invisible. And back to 2 Corinthians 4, 18. Well, if the, blind, the pure in heart shall see God, but that means not only in the world to come, everybody's going to see him there. Hitler's going to see him, and Mussolini's going to see him, and Jezebel, and all people. But the pure in heart can see God in the here and now. They can see God in a raindrop. When the Russian cosmonauts went into outer space, and being atheistic in their uh, communist system, uh, they were somewhat saying in ridicule, we were out there in outer space, and we didn't see God. And I said, but if they had stepped out of their spacesuit, they would have. They would very quickly have seen God. Time will come when everybody will see him, the good, the bad alike, because every knee will bow before him. Every tongue will confess unto him, Romans 14, 11, 12. But 
The pure in heart can see God as he works providentially. They can see the finger of God touching the lives of men and women, as mentioned in Romans 8 and 28. And so the pure in heart can see what the average person cannot see because the average person isn't really looking with his mind, and the pure in heart is. And the average person isn't looking with his heart. He isn't looking with the eyes of the understanding, but those who are pure in heart do. So let's really see not only with our physical eye, but let's see everything that we can possibly see. Let's not just merely casually glance or notice, but let's have that thorough and that deliberate look. In Proverbs 27, 24, Solomon said, the eyes of a fool are in the ends of the earth. There are some people who are spiritually far-sighted. We've done quite a bit of work in preaching the gospel and meetings and campaigns and special efforts overseas, but it's interesting how some people are so vitally concerned about saving souls across the sea, but for some reason never seem to get excited about saving the souls across the street, spiritually farsighted. They can spot an opportunity a thousand miles off. They can see golden opportunities, and if they lived on the West Coast, or if they were in Europe, or if they were here or yonder, what about all around us? But while some, they can see what's afar off, not what's near, 2 Peter 1.9 tells us the opposite is also true. There are those who are blind and cannot see afar off. You see, they're spiritually nearsighted. Some people can't see five feet in front of them. They see only what's at their doorstep. Now, the Lord wants us to see what's across the sea, but he also wants us to see what's across the street. He wants us to be neither spiritually farsighted nor spiritually nearsighted. He wants us to see with the eye, with the mind, with the heart, with the understanding, see what's beyond the surface, see what is seen and what is not seen. Well, let me ask you, all of this being true, what do you see in circumstances? Now, many people are trying to see God through circumstances. No wonder they get a distorted view. We need to see circumstances through God, and that makes all the difference in the world. David said, it's been good that I've been afflicted, that I might learn thy testimony, Psalms 119, verse 71. When Paul was in prison and wrote the Philippian letter, in verse 12 of chapter 1, he said, the things that have fallen out, the fallen unto me, including the imprisonment, have fallen out unto the furtherance of the gospel. Had Paul not been in prison, then some people probably would not have had the opportunity of hearing the truth preached. Adversity causes some men to break, others to break records. I heard of this man who was so afflicted, he'd lost a limb, he was paralyzed. So many things limited him. But somebody said, how is it you have such a good outlook? And he said, well, when I quit thinking of what I had lost and started focusing on what I had left, then he said things were appearing differently to me. Helen Keller probably saw a lot more without eyesight than many people with just perfect eyesight. Somebody said, I never did see until I became blind. Another person said, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Another person said, no, I'll see it when I believe it. 
You see, faith has to do with what is beyond the surface. There's evidence, but it's only evidence. There's substance, but it's only substance. And faith can see with that evidence and with that substance what the average fellow misses. Well, look at the circumstances around us. When you miss a fortune, it may not be a misfortune. It may be a blessing in disguise. It may be the salvation of your soul. You didn't get that raise. You didn't get that promotion. That might not have been the best thing for you. Somebody said, I've lived to thank God all my prayers haven't been answered. I would have been ruined. Now, we don't always know what's good for us. You know, in Romans 8, Paul said, we don't know what we ought to pray for at times. Now, we know some things to pray for. We should pray for our daily bread, Matthew 6, 11. We should pray for one another, James 5, 16. But there are times when we can't see what's behind the, the horizon. We can't see what's on the other side. And we don't always know what's good for us. Now, we think we know, but we don't always know. <laughs> I heard of this little boy who prayed for God to bless mom and dad. And, and then he said, uh, uh, make Houston the, the capital of Texas. And his mother said, honey, why did you pray that? Said, That's what I put on my examination paper at school today. We often come to a conclusion, and then we pray God we're right, you see, after the fact. But we need to recognize that even though we can't see why certain things have happened. We can't understand the thorns and the flesh as Paul wrestled with in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 12. But can you see, even through those circumstances, God making all things somehow, some way, even ways we had never thought about, never even dreamed possible, and with things that God could use that man couldn't, do we see somehow, some way, that all things, not some things, all things, even the bad things, can work together and will for good to them that love the Lord. Not for everybody, but for them that love the Lord. I heard of this little woman who was watching a tennis match. She noticed how often the ball hit the net. And she said, why didn't somebody take that net down and make the game easier? And somebody was watching a golf match and noticed how often the ball went in the water and said, why don't they fill up the water holes? and make the game easier. But if the time ever comes, beloved, when the nets are torn down and the water holes are filled up, the sand traps are removed, there won't be anything left to adjust us, nothing to toughen us. You don't sharpen a razor on a piece of velvet. You need something tough for that. And there are tough situations. What about the Israelites? It took 40 long years a wandering in the wilderness, and those must have been pretty rough days, but it took that for them to be adjusted, and uh, they needed that. And there are times in life when we need difficulties. If, if life were nothing but a bed of roses, then we really wouldn't have the full appreciation of things. It takes the darkness of the storm to bring out the beauty of the stars. And if the stars appeared only once in a lifetime, or if the afterglow of a beautiful sunset appeared only once a year, we'd fall to our knees in adoration. But as it is, we'd scarcely notice all of this. We'd just take everything for granted, including adversities. Had it not been for certain adversities, people's future would be altogether different. There was a man who suffered a great accident 
uh, and suffered great pain in, in a streetcar accident many years ago. He had to change his whole career because it left him very limited physically. But he changed and he became one of the greatest cartoonists of all time. And had it not been for that accident, things would have been quite altogether different. There was a person who was interested in photography and he had worked and saved and got enough money to send off to buy a book on photography. But the publishers made a big mistake. They sent him a book on ventriloquism instead. Now, he didn't even know what it was. He had to even look it up to see what it meant. Well, he didn't know that he could send the book back and probably didn't have enough money to send it back. But instead of nursing his woes and feeling sorry for himself uh, and brooding, uh, he just started reading and studying. And had it not been for that mistake that the publishers made, you would never have heard of whom? Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy. So you never know. What do you see in circumstances? Somebody said, I feel good today, but I always feel my worst when I feel my best because I get to think of how bad I'm going to feel when I really get to feeling bad again. Now that's pessimism. There's some people who are soured on life. They can't see the good. Everything is bad. They don't see the stars. They see only the, the clouds and the darkness. Two men looked from behind prison bars. One saw the mud. The other saw the stars. The difference between a pessimist and an optimist is what each one sees. We see the glasses half full or the glasses half empty. It just depends upon how we look at things. In fact, there are two ways we can misinterpret life suggested by passages, one from the Old Testament, one from the New. In 2 Kings 3, 23 and 24, one morning the Moabites got up and they saw the sun shining on the water. You know what they said? It's blood. It wasn't blood at all. It was one of the beauties of nature, but they called it blood. Why did they say it was blood? Because they were filled with bloodshed and they couldn't see anything but blood. Isn't that what Paul said in Titus 1.15? To the pure, all things are pure. To the defile, all things are defiled. Heard of this woman who was so critical of her neighbor and she wanted to impress upon the neighbor how untidy a housekeeper the person was and she said, look, look through the kitchen window at those clothes on the line, dirty, streaked, and dingy. She's such an untidy housekeeper. And the guest said, I think if you look a little more closely, you find it's your kitchen window that's dirty, streaked, and dingy and not the neighbor's clothes. As somebody said, we see things not as they are, but as we are. Well, these Moabites, being filled with bloodshed, that's all they could see was blood. But now the other passage, John 12 and 28, on one occasion, God, Jesus said, Father, glorify thy son. And God spoke out audibly. Wouldn't you love to hear the voice of God? I think all who are interested in speech have often wondered how God's voice would sound like. Well, some heard it. You know what they said? It thundered. It wasn't thunder. Everybody's heard thunder. No, that's commonplace. This was the voice of God, but they passed it off as commonplace, routine, run-of-the-mill, average. So we can misinterpret life by calling something blood because that's what we are thinking and we're that pessimistic and we're that soured on life and that distorted in our views. When in reality, it's one of the beauties of nature. Or uh, we, can, we can say it, it thundered when really it's something exceedingly great. It's, it's 
not so commonplace as thunder. So here are things that are rather tragic looking. The future doesn't seem so clear and bright and the world seems to cave in and things are not going right as we would like. But give it time, maybe, maybe, somehow, some way, these instead of stumbling stones are really stepping stones. And instead of millstones, they might really in reality be, be milestones. It just depends. Everything depends upon what we see. And what we see depends upon how well prepared we are. Let's see, even in circumstances, even in adverse circumstances, let's see opportunities. Let's see maybe uh, steps that could lead to higher things that wouldn't be there had it not been for these, for these adversities. Heard this little fellow who fell into a barrel of molasses. Now, if you don't know what that is, I don't know how you made a success at anything, but that's a pretty sticky mess that barrel of syrup to fall into. But instead of getting, giving up, being disgusted, he just prayed, Lord, make my tongue big enough for the occasion. Now, that's turning odds into opportunities. Heard of a fellow who backed his truck too far off in the dish, and the front end of it reared up. And some smart aleck said, now what are you going to do? He said, I think I'll grease it. I'll never have a better opportunity. We can turn odds into opportunities, or we can let those opportunities become odds. It all depends upon what we see in circumstances all about us. Now, when things aren't going right, and there are times when they won't, and when uh, we're having a hard time, and there are going to be times when we do, that's life. The Lord didn't promise it would all be a bed of roses, but if we have the full confidence, no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Psalm 8411, and that's a promise. And all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Romans 8, 28. That's a promise. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 19. That's also a promise. And the Lord speaks of these precious and exceeding great promises. And the Lord has done all of that with the understanding we can trust him. We can depend upon him. He's never failed us yet. He's never let us down. He's never disappointed us. Then regardless of circumstances and regardless of the momentary problems and thorns that prick us so severely, we can see golden opportunities. We can see beyond those dark clouds, silver linings. Some of the greatest literature, I understand, has been written in the darkest hour. And I understand the the darkness of the night comes just before the break of the day, and that's oftentimes the case. And we have so many examples of that in the Bible that God gave us. On one occasion, I believe it was Gideon who said, Lord, if, if you're for us, and why has all this happened to us? And so there are times we wonder why these things have happened. But suppose God, though, never let any of his followers suffer then many people would want to become followers, not because they love the Lord, because they just don't want to suffer. No. He said he causes it to rain on the just and the unjust, and he sends the sunshine on the evil and the good alike. See, according to Matthew 5. What do you see in circumstances? Well, let me ask another question. What do you see in people? Do you see a flaw or a flame? They're both there. 
Do you see a spark or a speck? They're both there. Do you see an eccentricity or an excellence? Something fearful, something cheerful? What do you see? What did the Lord see in Simon Peter? You see, Peter denied the Lord, Matthew 26, 74. He even pulled out that short sword and cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest, John 18 and 10. Kirsten swore, and then he seemed being so impetuous and so impulsive, always to be putting his foot in his mouth, speaking when he ought to be listening. What did the Lord see in a fellow like that? Would you have really selected him to be an apostle? But the Lord saw beyond all of that impetuousness, and he saw beyond all of these other things. He saw what the average fellow might miss. What do you see in people? And Peter became one of the greats, and you think of all that was accomplished. Go back to the day of Pentecost, and that sermon that was preached, and the beginning of the Lord's church, and all of that. And then think of how Peter, in years following, was a different man, because the Lord saw in him the great potentials. Would you believe that Thomas Alva Edison, the great inventor, whose name is household word. Would you believe he was told not to go back to school? Teacher said he's too stupid to learn. <laughs> Isn't that strange? And it was thought to be a waste of the teacher's time to keep the young man in school. But his mother believed in him. The whole world has been indebted to that woman because she saw what the average fellow was not able to see. What do you see? We see only what we're prepared to see. Before the days of the Civil War, the war between the states and America, there came to the farmhouse door of old Worthy Taylor in Portage County, Ohio, a boy looking for work. Well, Taylor didn't know the boy, but he decided to give him a job doing general farm labor. He did the chores, slept in the hayloft, and as summer wore on, he fell in love with Taylor's daughter, but Taylor wouldn't let him marry his daughter. He said, he doesn't have a name, no future, never amount to anything. And so that young man packed, picked up his few belongings and left, and Taylor continued to prosper. And after 35 years of that prosperity, he decided to tear down that old barn, build a big one. And when he did so, he was rather surprised to see carved into the rafter of the loft of that building were the initials of that boy who really had no future, never amount to anything, James A. Garfield who at the time the barn, barn was being torn down, the president of the nation. Here's some boy gets into trouble, don't mark him off. Here's somebody slips and falls. Is that the end of it? What did the Lord see in Barnabas? Oh, first mention of Barnabas is Acts 4.36. He was called the son of encouragement. And every time you read about Barnabas, he was always encouraging people. And we need more Barnabases today. Paul, you see, had been persecuting the church, formerly known as Saul, and no wonder people were skeptical of him when he started preaching. Uh, wouldn't you be? I would be, no doubt. But it was Barnabas who came to his rescue in Acts 9:37, And Barnabas is responsible for the brethren finally accepting Paul, and look what a great figure Paul became in the Lord's church. In fact, if I had a model after whom I'd like to pattern my preaching in my life, it would be the Apostle Paul. The church of our Lord is as indebted to the Apostle Paul as probably any other person other than Christ. 
who's ever lived. But had it not been for that encouragement on the part of Barnabas, things might have been altogether different. And then time was when Paul and Barnabas were starting out on their tour, they, they took uh, John Mark, that was a relative of, of, of Barnabas, took him with him. But, but Barnabas, I mean, John Mark turned back, and then later, uh, Paul, uh, Barnabas wanted to take him with him, but Paul said, no, 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 he turned back. Had it not been for Barnabas' encouragement and Barnabas taking him, even though they came to the parting of the waves, Paul and Silas went one way, and Barnabas and, and uh, Mark went another way. But when Paul wrote his last letter, 2 Timothy 4, he said, uh, bring Mark with you. He's profitable to me, which means apparently he's changed. Now, who knows but that maybe Mark would not have changed. Maybe Mark would have been lost forever to the cause of Christ. Maybe he never would have contributed anymore to the ongoing of God's cause had it not been for the encouragement that Barnabas had given to him. What do you see in people? What do you see in Peter, I mean James and John? In Mark 3:17, they were called the sons of thunder. And in Luke 9, verses 51 and following, we see why. You see, there was not much love between the Samaritans and the Jews. And on one occasion, with reference to the Samaritans that the normal Jew didn't like, it was James and John who said, Lord, you want to just call fire down from heaven and kill them? Now, would you like that kind of a person to be a, an apostle? But you see, the Lord could look beyond that. Now, these men are now called the apostles of love, but they weren't always that way. The Lord could see what the average fellow missed. What about Simon the Zealot, Luke 6, 15? A rabble-rouser, why he would be one who would start an insurrection at the drop of a hat because he hated the Romans, you see. Uh, he would be a ringleader. And then the Lord selected Matthew. Now, he was representing the Roman government as a tax collector. How could you put those two together? How, how could you ever expect those two to work together? Christianity changes things, and the Lord could see all of that. What do you see in people? Do you see only the bad? It's, there's always some bad. Do you see only the good? There's always some good. Let's be able to see the good things, the potentials. Let's see that a soul is worth saving. Here's somebody down in the gutter, a drunken wretch. Do you see only something of disgust? Do you see a scoundrel or do you see a possible saint? Do you see somebody who's who was somebody's precious son? Or do you see somebody who'll never amount to anything? What do you see in people? Well, let me ask another question. What do you see in self? And this is a very big question. Do you really see yourself as God sees you? Now, Paul said we shouldn't think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, Romans 12 and 3, but he didn't want anybody else to think of him above that which was seen to be in him, 2 Corinthians 12 and 6. Now, that's real genuineness. That's, that's sincerity. Do you see in yourself the mistakes, the sins, that which could eventually condemn your soul? Now, it's easier to see the mistakes in someone else. It's not so easy to see our own mistakes, but do you really see yourself as God does see you day by day. Let's take a look into the mirror 
and don't close your eyes. Don't uh, rationalize. Don't try to explain away. Let's see ourselves as we really are. Let me ask one more question before we close. What do you see in the opportunities around you? Jesus said, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, they're white in the harvest, John 4, 35. Do you really see that? I heard of this young man, when the shrapnel was falling in time of battle, he called to his sergeant, he said, where's my foxhole? And the sergeant said, you're standing on it, you just have to remove the dirt. Now we're always standing on a foxhole, but because it's covered up and doesn't have in bold face type, F-O-X-H-O-L-E with a big arrow pointing, we miss it. We don't realize that sometimes those opportunities are in disguise. We don't realize that. Do you see a chance in your own neighborhood of leading some soul to Christ? Do you see the opportunity, the open door, the, 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 the precious moment that you could strike? The iron is so hot that might not be that way a day or two from now or even an hour or two from now. So let's realize that there are opportunities that we might have been blind to. Let's realize the fields are white and we didn't really see them as being white. What do you see? You see only what you're prepared to see. Seeing things and circumstances, things and people, things and self, things and all around us. May God help us to see with our hearts, with our minds, with our understanding as well as with our physical eyes. Let's see what's afar off, but let's also see what's very nearby. Let's, let's see even in the midst of fog and so forth, let's see the brightness and the glory. Let's see the, the, the great challenges that are before us. And may God help us to rise to all of those challenges. It's great to be living in our day. What opportunities we have. And, had the Apostle Paul or Peter, James, John, and others who lived in that first century, had they the opportunities we have, don't you know that they would have gone far in preaching the gospel and teaching all over the world? It's wonderful what uh, these people here are doing with these films, and may God bless them, and may God bless every effort. Help us each to so live that someday we can live eternally with Him in heaven.